All right, well, let's get started this morning. Joseph, you shut that door real quick. Let's pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for uh, the book of Romans. Uh, what an encouragement it is to us, uh, how it strengthens us as believers and draws us closer to you. And we just thank you for that in your name. Amen. Okay, so we are coming to the middle part of chapter 3 this morning. This is uh, the culmination or the, the final crescendo of Paul's argument uh, against uh, humanity. And he really uh, brings in the firepower here. Uh, as some would say, this is... Uh, set up as a courtroom uh, experience uh, or a courtroom um, that Paul is, uh, the, the way he delivers this is as if he was a uh, courtroom, maybe reporter, and God is bringing the accusations against humanity as a whole. So when we read this, we want to read it in context of what we've been talking about for the last several weeks in chapter 1 verse 18 through chapter 3 in verse 8 Paul has been detailing the sinfulness of humanity is everything working Joseph okay uh, the sinfulness of humanity and uh, it's not left any group any anybody out he has talked specifically to uh, the Gentiles, uh, from chapter 1, verse 18, to uh, chapter 2, in verse uh, 16, he, he really uh, specifically is talking to the Gentiles and, and the sins that um, are, are known of them. And then and from chapter 2 and 17 through 318, he, he begins to talk with uh, the about the Jews and, and giving and, and relaying their sinfulness and, and how it portrays to them. And then he's going to bring it all together here, a culmination here at the end, um, and really emphasize, I have a new student, look at there. Really emphasize... Um, this is exciting. I've copied off 15 pages and I have none left. <coughs> Emphasize the sinfulness of humanity. Okay, if you see there at the top of your um, page, the world is guilty as charged. Okay, we're going to talk just for a, a second because. There's, there's different beliefs in our world, uh, in, in Christianity, and um, one of the beliefs that we deal with in Christianity is this idea of depravity, okay? Do we know what we're talking about when we talk about depravity? Someone want to give me their definition of depravity? What they're thought of when you when I say the word depravity, what what comes to your mind? 
sin, okay? More fully, what, what are we thinking about when we think about depravity? Without hope? Wickedness? Okay? Where do we inherit depravity from? Adam, the fall, the first fall, okay? Before Adam sinned, there was no depravity because there was no sin. After the fall of Adam, the world fell under condemnation. And there's two kind of basic beliefs in Christian um, life uh, in, in our world. We have what we call partial depravity and complete or total depravity. Okay, So those are two kind of thoughts out there. There's a partial depravity and a total depravity. Okay? The, world, uh, the, the group of people that discuss or talk about partial depravity says that man is sinful, man is wicked, man does need a salvation, we are desperate sinners, we are wicked, and God gives his grace, and this, this goes into grace, uh, where we'll be talking uh, more in depth as we get into uh, the end of chapter 3 and 4 and 5. But he, God extends his grace to all humanity, and because we're sinful, we need his grace, and all humanity gets his grace, and we can choose whether we receive his grace or reject his grace. That's partial depravity. Okay, because we're not completely deprived to the point where we cannot receive him. Okay, and then you have the thought of complete or total depravity. And that is on the basis of we have, we can do nothing apart from Christ. We will only sin, we will always only sin. And without Christ, and Christ alone, we will sin, and grace is only extended to those that God extends it to. It's not extended to everyone, it's extended to those that God chooses. Okay? And that is total depravity. And we're going to uh, see how that uh, thought process is given here. Now, what I'm going to do is we're going to read through this. And as a bi part of our Bible study this morning, when we get done with the lesson, I'm going to ask you a question. On which side do you fall on based upon this passage? Do you decide on that all men are sinful and always going to be sinful outside of God? directly dealing with them, or does man going to have the ability to choose God on his own? So he's only partially depraved. There's a part of him that God has allowed him to choose, uh, to choose him. Okay, so just keep that in your, in your mind as we begin to study the end part of Paul's, uh, uh, his main point of the, the, of what he's been talking about here in the last two chapters, three chapters. Okay, and, and I'm going to ask a question this morning and see if this makes sense to you and then we'll get into this. If I were to say, now, 
without any context, okay? Let's say that we were, you all came to my house, all right, and we were not in a spiritual contents, okay? We weren't thinking spiritually and not speaking sinfully. We were just, this, we were just over having a barbecue, okay? Fourth of July, we're just having fun. And I come in and I say, you need to be saved, you need to be saved, you need to be saved. What's your thoughts going to be, Roy? What, what would your thought be? Okay. <laughs> but what would your thought be? What, what do I need to be saved from, right? If I just come over and I say, you need to be saved. Mike, you need to be saved. Mike, you need to be saved. <laughs> yeah, he would say, okay, that's great, but I don't. Now, if I come in to, and we're having the barbecue, and I say, the barbecue has exploded, the house is on fire, you need to get out, you need to be saved. We've done put in context what you need to be saved from, right? So if I just run in and I say, you need to be saved, you need to be saved, you need to be saved, you're going to think, that guy's a weirdo. You probably might think that anyways. But if I come in with a context of saying, hey, the barbecue just exploded, the house is on fire, and hey, we, we, need, to, we need to get out of here, okay? It gives you a concept of, oh, there is danger that I need to be uh, saved from, okay? That is what Paul is endeavoring to do in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans, is to give us a very clear picture of what we, who we are and why we need salvation. There is no good news unless you know what the bad news is, right? How is it good news if there is no bad news? It's just news, right? Can, can news be good or bad if there's not a, con if there's not a, a, a negative or a positive? It's just news, right? There has to be, if it's good news, well, there would have to be a negative to that, right? Because otherwise, how would it be a good, how would, why would it be good? It would just be news. So, that's what Paul is driving at. He is giving us the bad news of humanity and where we stand before God. And that's what we see here in verse 9 that we start off with, the charge against humanity. And again, remember, this is kind of set up in a courtroom where these are accusations uh, uh, given towards humanity as a whole. Okay, and so in verse 9 it says, what then, the what then is referring to what Paul has just gone over in the last several verses from 118 to 3.8. That is what that is talking about. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Okay, the word Greeks there can also be translated or thought of as Gentiles. Okay, it's the same, same concept there. If to get some clarification and understanding there, just so we are under, uh, know, there's a little bit of a uh, 
debate. It's not a major debate. It's not going to change a tremendous amount of how this is read. But some believe that verse 9, the we, is referring to Jewish believers because he's been talking to Jews. Okay, um, My belief is that he's talking to Christians here. Okay, And how I gain that understanding is off of verse 8. Okay, in verse 8, if you follow the two together, they kind of, they, they, they go together, and that's uh, how I understand it. Now, there's other Bible teachers out there that says it's the Jews. And so this is kind of where I've been convinced that it's talking about uh, believers here. Because in verse 8, it says, why, and, and why not say we are slanderously reported as some claim that we say? Okay, so that we is talking about Paul and the believers that and this was something that they were being accused of as believers. Let us do evil that good may come. Okay, so the Christians that Paul was associated with and himself, uh, he is saying we. And then he goes into verse 9 here and says, what then are we okay, better than they? Okay. So the idea is, are Christians better off, or are we at a better stance, are we in a better position? Okay. And he says, not at all. For we have already charged, this charge is the accusations that Paul has brought in the previous verses and then going to continue to bring. We've already charged that both Jews and Gentiles or Greeks are all under sin, okay? He leaves no one out of this, okay? And again, Paul is concluding this section, making sure that all humanity knows that we fall under sin. Whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile or Greek, you fall under the condemnation of sin, okay? So that's what the, the, your two blanks there are Jew and Greek. Probably were able to get that. But, um, so that's the first major thing that Paul wants to bring, the accusation this morning, is both Jews and Gentiles, which encompasses all humanity, are sinners and fall under sin. And then he gets into his accusations. Okay. Cleverly, and obviously through the wisdom of God uh, in his writing, he accuses the, the, the Romans here and all humanity with Scripture. He uses Scripture to bring out his point, okay? As his proof, of his proof of accusation, okay? As it is written... What do we know when it says, as it is written in the New Testament, what do we know that is referring to? Old Testament, right? So anywhere that we see in the New Testament, it says, as it is written, we automatically know it's referring to the Old Testament. Okay? Because nothing at this point, other than there was letters and so on being circulated, but there wasn't Scripture uh, necessarily um, that they would recognize 
uh, what they would recognize as Scripture's Old Testament. So as it is written in the Old Testament, okay, verse number 10, okay, what we want to see here, as, as you can see as your heading, no part of our life is without sin. And Paul is going to clarify, clearly identify that all, every aspect of our life is sinful. Okay, and the first part is our character. Okay, our character. There is none righteous. And in case you were confused on the word none, he goes ahead and clarifies that and says, no not even one, all right? Not even one. So there's none righteous, not even one. So in case you just somehow skipped over the word none, he clarifies that and makes sure you realize that no one, not even one person is righteous. Okay, so it speaks to our character that no one is righteous. Now, as we, uh, I want you to really understand here, Paul is giving the argument of who we are as humans. So we are going to conclude today with no hope and no nothing. We're going to conclude with we're worthless, no good for nothing sinners. Okay, and so you're going to leave with thinking of me as, wow, that was... And then Dean gets to come and be the joyful one that says, but there is hope, okay? So you'll like Dean next week. This week you might not like me because I'm going to leave you in the depths of despair and your sin, okay? <laughs> What's that? Come back next week. Yes, don't leave and don't, don't not uh, come back because you'll stay in the depths of despair after this lesson, okay? Next week will give us great hope. So there's none righteous, not even one. The character it talks about there. Psalms, we're going to, if someone wants to grab Psalms 41, and I'm going to have you read from there a couple times, okay? Um, this passage. Now, he primarily is quoting from Psalms. Uh, it's several different places in Psalms, um, and then a couple places in Isaiah uh, he's, he's quoting from, and we're only going to go a few, okay? Now, the Psalms 41 has a lot of these uh, accusations in it, but Psalms 41 in verse 1, Mike? It's probably true. Yeah, so it goes, yeah, probably my, uh, <laughs> got reversed. Not that that would happen in my mind. But. Yes. Okay, so we're going to see that again come up as we go, but there... Uh, just not a not a righteous person, okay, and that that's what it's talking about. There is none righteous. Our mind is the next point, 
Okay, our mind is the next point in verse number 11. There is none who understands. Okay, there is none who seeks for God. Now, again, remember the question that I posed to you at the very beginning of our lesson and start categorizing, you know, Putting it into your mind, these, these things that Paul is saying, and, and see which side of the line you fall on, on whether we are completely depraved from God or that we will have a choice to choose Him. Verse 11 says, There is none who understands. Okay, Without Christ and the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand anything spiritually. And then in the latter part of verse 11, it says, There is none who seeks for God. Okay, so in our mind and our actions, we don't understand and we do not seek for God. Psalms 53.3, that would be there. On uh, Psalms 53 3, if someone wants to read that. Okay, so just it, it's the understanding of there, and I'm not sure. I might have confused that these all, all these verses are going to work, but that one. Yeah, anyways, I don't know. The, the, that one probably needs to go up on the other. Yes, those are, yeah, that's, I have that on here as well. Two and three talk about there is none that seek God in 14. Um, and there's none that understand him, okay? So and that's so he talks about your character in point number one. In point number two, he talks about your mind or your mental state. You don't understand God and you do not seek Him. And point number three, it goes to your heart. Okay, all have turned aside. Um, all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is none who does good. Okay? Uh, altogether you become useless, and there is none who does good. Now we want to pause here and, and get an understanding of what Paul is saying. Does humanity do things that are good? So humanity does good things, right? When you think of uh, maybe missionaries that we would not believe are, are believers, okay, and they go do humanitarian work and, and help children in Africa, those are good deeds, right? Those are good things. Uh, we cannot argue that, that fact. And so when Paul, or when, yeah, when Paul here says none does good, is it referring to that? No. Okay, because humanity does have the capability of doing good things. Uh, you drive down the road and a lady has a, a flat tire and she's in a really nice dress and you stop and you fix her tire for her. As an unbeliever, you've done a good deed, right? You, you've been a nice person. 
So does humanity have the capability of doing good deeds? Yes. But when you understand it in the concept of what Paul is talking about, no one can do good because good comes with glorifying God only in our actions. The only way that we can do good is if God only is glorified. And an unbeliever would never seek to glorify God. So when he says here that none can do good, it's because in our inner selves, we are not seeking to glorify a God in our good works, and so therefore, ultimately, they are not good works because they're self-gratifying or they're self-glorifying. Does that make sense? That's how Paul can say none does good because in ourselves we seek to glorify us or praise ourselves as unbelievers. Now, as Christians, that's different, okay? But as unbelieving people, as sinful people that Paul is referring to here, they only desire to glorify themselves, and so therefore they cannot do anything good in the sight of God. What does God say about our good works? It is filthy rags. And when you understand the concept of the filthy rags, uh, you, you realize it, there's, nothing, there's nothing good about it. Okay? It's, a, it's a very nasty uh, um, idea given there. Okay? And so, as we read this, we want to understand Paul's train of thought. And this is good for us as Bible students, that we don't just read through and think, well... I don't agree with Paul because people can do good things. And so I'll, if you don't agree with the Bible and what it's saying, you need to pause, step back and say, <clears throat> I don't understand it. Okay? Because if you're not agreeing with it, it means you're not understanding it. And if you disagree with the Bible, you're wrong. The Bible's never wrong. All right, and so if you, as you're reading along here and you come to a verse and it says, there is none who does good, there is not even one, you would think, oh, good grief. I, I, Mother Teresa did great things, right? She's a good person. I, I, I don't know if I agree with what Paul's saying here. You're wrong. Get the correct context of what Paul is saying. And then you will be enlightened. And so, as Bible students, we want to always make sure that we never accuse the Bible of saying, that's not right, or that was mistranslated there. Um, so, we, we're just going to uh, eliminate that, because people do do good when we understand that they don't do good because they seek to glorify themselves, okay? So, it's, and that, again, works to the inner working of our hearts, Okay. The inner working of our hearts is, um, again, what that's referring to is our heart desires to glorify ourselves. Okay? Any, any thoughts or questions there? Yeah. And, you know, and there... You know, humanity loves, what is one of the things they love to say if you watch the news or watch anything is people are mostly what? Good. 
Now, if you watch the news any time recently, you're, you're not going to get that concept. But, um, you know, people are mostly good. And, and it makes people feel good, right? It makes you feel good about yourself when you can say, well, most humanity tries to do what's good. Yeah, mostly peaceful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mostly peaceful protesting. It's like saying mostly humanity is good. Neither one makes sense. Okay, humanity isn't good in the sight of God. Now, in humanity's eyes, we would say that there are good and bad people, right? Not everyone, and when we talk about depravity, and some people take the total depravity means that man is going to go to the the farthest degree of sin that they can go. That's not what it's talking about. Because not all of mankind goes to a Hitler point of view or a Stalin or, or, a, or these mass murderers or anything. They don't take their life to that degree. Okay? Uh, there are people that do. And then there's people that live out their entire life as a productive citizen um, that does what we would classify, and again, remember the context, what we would classify as normal everyday sins, but they're a productive, good citizen, okay? They're both fully depraved, okay? They're both fully depraved. One is just choosing to uh, indulge fully in, in sin. Uh, the other, uh, by the grace of God, um, it has, there is some parameters, okay, that they follow. But again, this is accusations against all of humanity that none do good, not even one. Paul makes the point, it's a double point making here, okay. And then in verse 13, he begins to talk about their speech, okay, the, the speech of the person all have, uh, let me see here, they, do, 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 do. their throat is an open grave, okay, with their tongue they keep division. What do we think that Paul is, is driving at here when he talks about their throat is an open grave? What do you think about when you think, and think in the context here, okay, Bible times, what do you think about when you think of an open grave? Or let's go to maybe the, the, the Gospels and let's talk about Lazarus, okay? Jesus came uh, to, to Lazarus' tomb, and what did they say about Lazarus that, you know, we're going, he's going to raise him up from the dead, and he says, well, he's been in the grave for four days, and what? He stinks! Okay? You know, we don't want him to come out. He really stinks. And he don't want to come out. But, alright, that's the idea. And you can have the same concept given here as if you've ever been up in the mountains or out where there's been a recently within a few days uh, dead carcass, a dead animal, okay? It just smells like roses, right? And it's beautiful uh, smell to your nostrils, right? No. 
Uh, our dog, when he was just a young pup, uh, when we lived in a different location, um, would go and that we had a large amount of cows around us. And sometimes they would have uh, cows that, you know, were born uh, dead or whatever. And, and so he would, roaming around, and he would go and roll in those, the, that area where the birth was and those dead animals and, and get in there. And man, he'd come home and oh, you, you didn't want to even wash him off or even get, stand as far as you wait. He, he was reeked. He was horrible. And he did it all the time. All right. And so that's the concept of the, that Paul is giving here is their throat is as a, a open grave. It, the, it pours out nastiness. There's nothing in there. There's nothing about a dead carcass that is... Uh, that, that's something that would be what we'd want to be a part of, okay? And so that is there. And then it says their tongue keeps uh, deceiving, all right? They, they, their deceiving uh, filth comes out of their mouth, all right? Nothing is, uh, there, there's few things uh, that adults don't like uh, more than someone that is purposely a deceptful, deceitful person that just lies and, uh, you know, you, you, you don't even really want to be around them. You don't want to converse with them. You stay as far away from a deceitful, deception person. And that's what it's saying here. Their throats our open graves, and their tongue. And the, obviously, we could go on and on about the tongue in the Old Testament. If you want to write down Psalms 5 and verse 9, someone wants to grab that, and then Psalms 10 and verse 7. Psalms 5 and verse 9, and Psalms 10 and verse 7. Speaks to those two areas. If you have it, go ahead and read it. Psalms 5 and verse 9. There's nothing liable in what they say. Their inner part of the creation of themselves. Their clothes are grave. They flatter with their feet. Okay. So, right there gives you clear understanding of what and Paul is accusing them using exact words from the Old Testament. Okay, Psalms 10, 7. Okay, so again, nothing good comes out of his mouth. Just full of deceit. And we see the, it follows again, that, that point speech follows into verse 14. With the mouth is, is full of uh, cursing, which what Mike just read. Okay, so just, just nothing but filth coming out of their mouth. Okay, so we've, we've seen their character, we've seen their mind, we've seen their heart, we've seen the speech. Now we're going to talk about their feet. Okay, their feet. In verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In verse 15, 16, destruction and misery 
are in their path. In verse 17, and the path of peace they have not known. You could take 15, 16, and 17 and put that on your TV screen uh, as in front of the news and it would clearly display what's going on in our society today, right? Their feet are swift to shed blood. We see that the, 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 the rioting and the, the, the wickedness going on in our cities right now, people have no problem shedding innocent blood. Okay? Destruction and misery are in their path. They destroy everything in their path. And they do not take into account anyone, no matter of age. It's amazing to me how these people today are um, abusing and, and beating up elderly people because they think, um, well, mainly, they're, they're, there's really not a good reason. They're just, they're depraved, wicked-minded people. And as I say this, remember, okay, Remember this, as I say all of this about those groups of people, if you go back up to verse 9, it says Jews and Greeks are all under sin. That includes all of us, okay? So that doesn't mean that we're better than these people. That doesn't mean that Paul is giving us uh, and saying that we are better because he says, what then, are we better than they? Not at all. We're not better than them. Not even, not at all, okay? So as I, as I charge these people as being wicked and doing vile actions, I'm not saying that we are better, okay? All humanity, without the grace of God, which we will uh, see uh, here in the next several chapters, all of us could be in the same, the same position. Being out on the streets, being destructive and worthless to society, uh, we could be there the same, but for the grace of God, okay? So our feet is the ne that point, and then our last point on this section here is our eyes, okay? Our eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They do not have any fear of God. Do you think that if humanity had a proper fear of God that they would do the things that they do? No. They have no reverence to God. They have no desire to seek Him and they have no desire to acknowledge Him. And because of that, they do not fear Him. And the fear of God is not even before their eyes. All right, it's, uh, oh, sorry, I didn't give you this verse under feet. If you want to write down Isaiah 59, Isaiah 59, um, 7 and 8. Isaiah 59, 7 and 8 talks about the feet that shed blood. Okay, and then the eyes, it's Psalms 36, 1. Psalms 36, 1. Those are the verses that Paul is referencing there. Isaiah 59, 7 and 8. 
So if you look through what we just talked about and we look up at that uh, heading under that section, it says no part of our life is without sin. And then you look at our character, our mind, our heart, our speech, our feet, our eyes. It's from our feet to our head. Every aspect of our body is without sin. We are known as complete sinners. There's not this little section of our body that is uh, without sin. Okay? Very important to, to grasp that. Okay? And then before we go on, I want to have a little, I'm going to ask the question I was going to ask. And I would ask that you, if you, and I'm, we're, it's going to be a conversation. If you believe one way or the other, that's fine, and we can talk about it. Okay? But based upon what we read this morning, is humanity partially depraved? A part of us isn't depraved. Or is humanity 100% depraved from God? What, what would we say by reading this verse? These verses. Totally depraved? Without any hope? Does anyone have a, uh, a uh, an opposing? And, and again, we're we're all we're all loving to each other. If you don't agree with that, that's fine. We can discuss it, and that's what this time is for, so that we can truly understand what Scripture's saying. But do we? Is there anyone in here that would say, well, based upon other parts of Scripture and so on, I would say that I I, I lean more towards man has the ability to choose God. We can't say that, and we should be convinced that we are completely and 100% separated with God, from God, and that we would never seek Him. It says that in verse 11. No one seeks for God. No one seeks for Him. So God is the one who seeks out us. He's the one that draws us to himself. We don't run to him. He comes to you and I. The concept, and we talked about this in our sermon series uh, through the, the five solos, but... The concept of a dead person doing anything, it doesn't make sense. And to read through this list and to think that anybody in this list, name me, uh, going from verses 10 to verse 18, name me one person that's explained there that you would think that person might, right there, that person might. Um, follow after God. Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. We are going to get into that as we get through Romans. Okay, there, there's a there's a there's there's a lot in that question. 
okay? There's a lot in that question. And it's a very good question, and it's a question that many believers have, okay? And as we go through Romans, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that this morning because we are going to get through, we are going to get to it, and we're going to spend whole class times on that subject, okay? The quick answer is God chooses those to be saved, period, okay? We cannot say, well, because He's chose some, then He doesn't choose others. Okay? All men are condemned. All men. It is our choice to hate God. Okay? God, in His great mercy, chooses those to be saved. And again, we will... Uh, dive into that fully as we get through Romans. That's why I was telling you guys, as we go through Romans, it will answer your theological questions on salvation and be able, you'll be able to give a firm answer to the question of who can be saved and how God does save and who falls under sin. You'll be able to give that clear answer who grace is for, what faith is for, what justification for, what is sanctification for, uh, who, who receives grace. Um, all of those questions and, and who God chooses uh, will be answered through this book. Okay, And for this topic, we are in, in the latter part of this is Paul is giving the clear picture of that the entire world is under sin and condemnation okay and he gives that through those verses and then he says in verses 19 says the heading there both jews and gentiles are accountable to god okay and that's verse 19 now we know that whoever whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all that all the world may become accountable to God how do we know that the world is accountable and again i'm going to ask this because we've we've read it okay and we've uh, we've already gone over how we know that the world is going to be held accountable. How do we know that Jews and Gentiles will be held accountable under the law? Well, if you go to Romans 3 and verse number 2, how are the Jews held accountable? They were given the written, that's your blank there, the written law. Okay. The Jews were given the written law. So if someone says, well, how are the Jews held accountable? You can point them to Romans chapter 3 and verse 2. The Gentiles received the works of the law written on their what? Heart. Okay, Where do we see that? Romans 2, 15. Good, Mike. You want to read that, Mike? Romans 2.15. Okay, so no one, again, 
going off the same thought process in, in verse 9, that nor Jew nor Greek all are under sin. No one has a, uh, an escape hatch that says, well, I didn't know, so I, the law can't hold me accountable. Because if you were a Jew, <laughs> you had the written law right in front of you. So you were held accountable to that. And if you were a Gentile, you said, well, I didn't have the written law. Well, God doesn't give you an escape hatch. He wrote the law upon your heart to do what's right. And you have rejected the law. Okay? So that's what verse 9 is saying. And then verse 10 is the, the final judgment here. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in, the, in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The simplest, easiest way for you to give an understanding to someone that asks you a question, what is the purpose of the law? You don't need to go into this long explanation if you don't have time. You can point them to Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. The purpose of the law, for, though, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law's full purpose is to point out man's sinfulness before an almighty God. And Paul lays that out here in these chapters. Very clearly states the point that we are all condemned by the law. The law cannot justify us. Why can the law not justify us? Because you can't keep it. There's only one that was able ever, only one human able ever to keep the entirety of the law, and that was Christ. And that's what enabled him to be our sacrifice, to be our justification. And that is why the law could not save us, because we cannot keep it. There's no way to keep God's law perfectly and so it brings about the knowledge of sin and again without the knowledge of sin the bad news what's the purpose of good news we need to know the bad news so that we understand the glory of the good news A few minutes. Any questions or comments on this section? Again, this is good, strong information for us as believers. Now, if we were a group of people this morning that were unbelievers, you would be not excited. But because we're believers, this gives us strong information to be able to go out and to share with the world that they are condemned under sin fully. And then next week with Dean, we'll be able to show what God's grace and mercy and His justification uh, for us. Do you have something?
the blinding of their eyes. Um, again, the, 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 the idea of depravity, um, and, I, and I have to fully um, research that part, but um, humanity in this section, again, is talking about no one can choose God, no one can seek God. And so, uh, again, it's a good question, and I will have to... Um, I'll have to get back with him on that, or, or with the class on that. Um, the the idea of them blinding, or um, Jesus blinding their eyes, that didn't come up in my study. And so, I don't have a clear uh, comment for you on that, so I will, uh, might still, 30 to 1 minute of Dean's uh, lesson next week, um, and, and give a, an answer. Yeah, the, the blinding of the eyes. Yeah. But, you know, in, in, throughout the Old Testament, God hardened the hearts of, of Pharaoh and, and so on. And there's a purpose in that with those specific people. Um, and so there is, God does specific things with specific people. But as humanity as a whole, we are all depraved and we... The, the idea of total depravity is we cannot choose God. And we would never choose God. There's so much in Scripture that talks about we would never choose God in and of ourselves without God working first in our heart. And so that being the case, um, the, I would have to study the specific reasons behind why uh, he is blinding their eyes and... There, there's a good reason. Um, I'm just, it's not in the forefront of my mind. So, um, but I am completely convinced from this passage and other passages that man cannot choose God or would never choose God. Um, mm -hmm. To the wide of the beyond. That's good. Oh, sorry. Uh, inability. To show the inability of humanity to keep the law. And that you'll see that in Galatians 3. Galatians 3 and verse number 10. And we'll close with that. Someone has Galatians 3 and verse 10. Okay, so you're cursed if you cannot keep every aspect of the law. You're cursed. And uh, again, that Galatians was written by Paul as well. So... Um, good, good, good. And again, um, as we go through this and study, we're going to come up with things. And I'm not, I'm not 
a person that is all-knowing. And so you might ask me questions, and I'm going to be honest with you and say, I will get back with you, but I promise to get back with you. And uh, we will endeavor to get through the book of Romans together and learn and grow and, and, and gleam from God's word um, and to understand it fully, okay? So um, I will promise you that aspect. If you ask me a question that I don't know or can't give you a clear answer to, I'm not going to try to confuse you. So if I can't give you a clear answer, I will say, I don't know, and I will find out, okay? I am not ashamed to say that because there's lots of things I don't know. Um, but I do know this. We are a sinful people damned in our own sin. And that's where I'm going to leave you today. <laughs> but come back next week and you will be very encouraged in what we read. Okay? Please come back so you can be encouraged. I'm going to leave you damned in your sin and condemned this morning. Okay? Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for uh, your love for us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, we can know you and your love for us because we understand of our sinfulness. We understand our sin, and because of our sin, uh, we see your great love and your great mercy. Lord, we thank you for that in your name. Amen.